Thank you, Lord, for this day that you have given us. Thank you for your extravagant love poured upon us in every moment through the sacrifice of your Son at Calvary. We thank you that we can be here together in your house looking into your word and allowing it to speak to us, guide us, and instruct us. We just pray that you will be here in our midst this morning. May our hearts be attentive to hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we've been going through the Bible, talking about the word of his power and the power of his word, and it's been really an amazing journey, I think, going from one end of the Bible to the other, um, because we've seen various, you know, scenarios, stories, David, Psalms, remember Psalm 119, I was just kind of like thinking of all the places we've been, Proverbs about all of the things it says about the word, and through the life of Jesus, and now, and then through the acts of the apostles, by the power of the Holy Spirit, now we come to the letters, the rest of them, the epistles, they're called, but it just means letters. They're little books that were written to specific groups of people, most of them by Paul, a few by Peter, a few others, John, Few, so we have a few few different authors, but they're letters written to specific people. So what we're basically will do from here on will be more like a word study to just see some of the things that are said about the word and the effect it should have in our lives and different different things. So instead of going chapter by chapter as we have for you know since we've been on the life of Jesus and through the Book of Acts, we kind of went a little bit more chapter by chapter. Instead, we'll kind of go to the verses that have the word word in it and talk to us about the word. So we pick up then in Romans today, and Romans chapter 9, we are going to move from verse to verse. So um, may pr- I may print you out a, a list uh, for next Sunday so that it's a little easier uh, perhaps to follow. So here in Romans 6, 9, I mean, I'm sorry, in, in Romans 9, we have, of course, Paul writing. And Romans, we could spend the whole year on Romans all, all, all by itself, <laughs> which is not our intent. So let's just pick up at verse 1 so we kind of get the drift here. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall they seed be called. So he's saying here that, you know, his heart is really broken because he understands how Jesus came and is the fulfillment to the word which was delivered to them, and some of them aren't getting it. And it's a grief to his heart. So, you know, it's just a little lesson for us that when we, when we see people that aren't getting it, 
and aren't receiving the word, it should grieve our hearts. And he had this, you know, we, we know the Apostle Paul had a passion that all men, you know, hear the gospel, come to the gospel. He, he just figured if they understood it like he understood it, and he had been a Pharisee, that they would embrace um, they would embrace the, the, the Lord Jesus and, and come to believe in him also. Of course, that wasn't always the case. And so he says here, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall they seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. In other words, because of Christ... We're invited into the family. We're adopted into the family. And so it's not just the um, those who were born into Israel, Israel, but it's those of us who were adopted in, born again, uh, become believers. So we all become one. For this is the word of promise. At this time I w- will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca also, and then he goes on into the history there and reminds them of the word and that it was first for them but also for them that through Abraham all would be blessed all the nations would be blessed not just his not just his the nation that came from him but all the nations will be blessed and so thank god because otherwise we'd be outside wouldn't we if the word was only for an exclusive group and you know how sad that that's been the pattern over the years of people who get a hold of the word of God. They make it exclusive and more exclusive and more exclusive. It's for us and we got the corner on the market and, and us four and no more. And, you know, and, and, and that's not what, that's not, that's not what Christ is about. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what God is about. He's willing, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it's sad that our Christian world has become so fractured and isolated. Isolated, all these little isolated groups, it weakens. It does exactly what the enemy wants it to do, keeps everybody in their separate corners. If, think about it, if the body of Christ would come together the world over, we would have this formidable army that would be totally unstoppable. There's There's just the truth. If the body of Christ would come together, the world around, we would have an army of believers that would be unstoppable, that could literally turn the world upside down. It's the, it's the Muslim mentality. Get everywhere, propagate. <laughs> and if, if Christians would wake up and get, get connected, it, we would have revival. In, in no time, in no time. So there's something to really, really pray about because um, we need to see our common ground <laughs> as believers and band together. Um, what a what a what a beautiful thing that would be. So we could spend a lot of time on that alone. All right, going on to chapter ten. We'll just pick up again from the first verse and read a little bit so we get some continuity. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Here he's continuing on that thought. His heart is that his, you know, he grew up with a lot of them. 
those Pharisees and he sat at the feet of Gamaliel and he learns from him that was his mentor and he knew he knew the he knew the Pharisees in high places he knew them and his heart was that they would understand and embrace the gospel and love Jesus as he did that was his heart he didn't he didn't want to see them perish he didn't want them to reject the gospel and so his, it's, he says it, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of, of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So here we see that they understood you know, the law says they have to do this, that, and the other thing, but they couldn't transfer that to Jesus and allow him to be their righteousness and let go of the old. Wow. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ in again up from the dead. But what says it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Now that's a quote from Isaiah 65 and, and um, from Deuteronomy. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth but unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There we have it, wrapped up in a nutshell, don't we? <laughs> All that we've been talking about, the confession of our mouth and how we have to speak our faith and speak God's word over our lives and understand they were struggling yet still, of course, in the early church with letting go of the rituals and the, all the stuff that they had attached to the Ten Commandments and all of the, you know, comfort that they were used to and they had to, they had to lay it down and accept Jesus as the sacrifice for sin once for all, and accept him as their righteousness. And it wasn't about doing, 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 doing. <laughs> it was about the heart and about loving, loving, loving. <laughs> yeah, for the heart, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And again, we must, you know, a lot of times when someone gets saved and is being baptized, they're encouraged to confess before others their salvation experience because that there's something about telling somebody about what, what you've done and what you believe that kind of seals the deal, doesn't it? You know, you can think something in your heart and really be persuaded in your heart. But when you speak it out loud to somebody else, kind of put yourself on the line, don't you? Kind of put yourself out there. And so, Hallelujah. yeah, we need to speak speak about our salvation and tell it. Tell it again. There's someone needs it. Tell it again. 
Amen. So, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now we read call and probably more think of picking up the telephone and calling. But this is more of a crying out kind of call. Lord, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And there's something about calling out and crying out to our God that's very important in our relationship with him. And that's words, isn't it? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? All about words here. And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Interesting, right? Powerful for us to understand that. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. In the known world there, the disciples went out and spoke the word. It was spoken out all over the known world at that time. It came to pass. The word went out. The word went out into all the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and said, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Again, speaking of the Gentiles, that the Gentiles would get it and almost more easily accept it than the Jews. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Oh, wow. All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. We see there the mercy of God. He hadn't withdrawn his hand. He's still standing there with his hand outstretched saying, Come on, understand, grasp it. Here's, here's, here's my help. Here's my hand. And again, a very, very dramatic principle of all of our living. God's help is constantly available. His hand often outstretched to us with help. Our part always is to reach out and grasp the hand that is outstretched. When we just are waiting for Superman or Santa Claus or whoever to, to come and zap this and zap that and zap the other thing, sorry, it's not happening. Never will. We've got to do what God shows us to do. We've got to reach out and get the help. We've got to reach out. We've got to take a step towards him. He takes, he, he, he meets us way above what that little step should have received. <laughs> he, do, he goes way beyond, but he's just waiting for us to take that step towards him and reach out and say, yes, Lord, I need your help. I want your help. I will do what, what you show me to do. It's so crucial to where we get in the future, tomorrow, the next day, the day after that. 
such a disconnect for so many people to understand that what they're doing today, how they're, how they're responding to God today, affects tomorrow and affects the next day. But it does. And that's, that's just truth. So we have to understand that. We're going to jump forward to chapter 15. We'll pick up in verse uh, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, also able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. So that's just another place where the word is used. All right, now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And here he simply says in verse 20, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. In other words, not only in word. It's not only, and there's another important important part of uh, what we have to understand. It's not just our words. It's uh, power, the power of God, okay? There's a, there's a connection with um, God's power being evident in our lives because we all have known, maybe do know, people who can talk a good talk, but maybe not walk, not walk the walk. And so there's a disconnect, and there has to be both. We can talk. Our talk needs to be, yes, our confession needs to be good and needs to be the word, but that's not all. As um, Dave expressed it one Sunday, there needs to be that willingness and obedience. We reach out to God, we're willing to change, and then there's obedience that follows. It, 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 all, it all hangs together. We've got to follow through and act upon the word that we understand and that we receive because then we are able to demonstrate the power of God through our living. And that's what our lives need to be. We live in a world that's lost and dying and desperate for words of hope and comfort and cheer. It only comes through our living the word of God out. The the general public is not enthralled with reading the, the word of God. They're not... And, and even if, if people are reading the word uh, without being reborn, regenerated... It's hard for them to understand it. They need to see the word living in us, us living out the word. As we're living out the word, it's preaching without us spouting out Bible verses. It's shouting, God is alive and well within me. And it gets their attention. It can get their attention. So um, we have to understand that. Then in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks a, a little bit about the gifts of the Spirit, and the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. So we know that this is an operation of the Holy Spirit that should function when the body comes together that God is able to speak to you by the words of wisdom and knowledge. And I think if we went around the room, we could all give testimony to coming into church service 
and having God speak to us so directly that we feel like, you know, the whole thing was just aimed at us. Because why is that? Because God knows where we're at. And that word of wisdom comes from above. It doesn't come through a man or a woman. It comes from God. And so we need to be listening for his voice and receiving it. On the other hand, we need to be careful because I also know people who live in total confusion because all they do is run from one person to another looking for a word from God. They have no foundation. They have no planting. And what they're hearing is familiar spirits, not God's voice. And that's really dangerous. We need to understand the difference. We need to know God's voice and be careful because, um, again, I know people who are living in total confusion. They, they don't even know that they're living in total confusion. They think that they're hearing from God all the time. And it's just, it's sad. It's sad. God doesn't want us there. He wants us plugged into the body so that we can hear from God correctly. And, you know, can God give someone a word for us? Of course. But mostly it should come through our own relationship with Jesus Christ. As we're reading the word, as we're in relationship with him, as we're hearing the the message, we're in the, you know, we're in the word here in Sunday school. We should, the word should be speaking to us. But to be running around all your life long from one person to another trying to get a word from God, I'll tell you, you just open yourself up to the wrong voices and they will speak. They will speak. And, you know, the enemy can, can make himself sound pretty nice and pretty good. So we really need to be careful. It's just a really, really point where we just really need to be careful. All right. Then later in 2 Corinthians 1, he says well, that when we came to you, of course, now in Corinthians we have to understand something which is often forgotten. The Corinthians had problems, and they wrote to Paul, and they told him, you know, they asked him some questions, and they said, what should we do? Look, this is what's going on. Unfortunately, we don't have that part here. So he wrote back, and he addressed those those issues and problems. So, so you always have to kind of remember that when you read Corinthians. And he said, to, he, he talks to them, and he says um, in 18 where we're headed. He's kind of he's kind of, you know, really putting it on the line there with them and he says, "But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us." So here he's saying you know, we didn't come and say there was a there were some uh, rabbis who would say, well, you know, Rabbi so and so said that this scripture means this, and then Rabbi so and so said that maybe it means this, and then this one said that maybe it means this, and so you can kind of you know pick and choose and and whatever. <laughs> oh boy! And Paul said that's not how we came. That's not that's not how we taught you. We taught you, this is the way, walk in it. Our word was not yes and no, it was clear. It was a clear message. It wasn't ambiguous. It was 
this is this is what you need to do. This is what God has done, and we need to accept it. And so, he um, for all the promises of God in Him are sure. Kind of says it, it doesn't use those words, but yes, and in Him, Amen. So be it. Is amen unto the glory of God by us. We can bank on it. God's word is sure. Another wonderful truth about his word. People's word, mm, not so much, right? People's word, sometimes you can bank on it, sometimes you can't. All right? And But God's word, it's sure. He said it. You can bank on it. He said it. I believe it. That settles it, right? That's how we have to live. Okay. So that's what he's saying there. And then in the second chapter in 2 Corinthians, we'll pick up in 14. Now thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. There's what I was saying before. The living out of the word. It's a sweet savor when we're living it out. It's It's... It's attractive. And people look and they say, well, sometimes it, it you know, it, it's a split screen, right? For some, it, it makes them like crazy. They hate, they hate it because they see, they see the blessing that living, our living with God, uh, what it does for us. And they don't understand how we got there. And they're like, I'm smarter than her. I'm, I, I have more degrees than her. I, I'm, I'm wealthier than her, but she's got what I want. How did she get that? Where did she get that from? And it makes them crazy. And it, and so on the one hand, it, it sometimes generates uh, animosity, right? And yet on the other, the other hand, there's times where someone's hunger is is so intense and so great that they see our living and they go, what do you got? I got to have it. Tell me, what, 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 there's something different about you. What is it? I need to know. The hunger, when someone's in that hungry place, when they're like a ripe fruit, ready to be picked from the tree, that's when there's approachability. And they're like, tell me, what is it? Because our living with, with Christ inside is visible. It's visible, whether we like it or not. And, and it should be. And so, um, so our lives either drive people away, turn them one way or the other, right? It, it's just like with, with, as we've seen in Jesus' life, it was the same way. Jesus went about healing, teaching, loving on people. What happened? Everybody believed on him, right? <laughs> some believed and some didn't believe. It didn't speak ill of him. Right? What what a person's choice is, a person's choice is. It determines where they where they end up tomorrow, though. I will tell you that. The consequences don't go away. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. That's why I got on that. In them that are saved and in them that perish. That's what he's saying here, what I just said to you. There's the there's the response. It's either negative or positive. Whatever. Either way. To the one we are the savor of death unto death. To the other, the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Wow. What's he saying here? He's saying here that there's some that corrupt the word of God, isn't he? 
Mm. We have too much of that, don't we, in our world. And really, all we're responsible for is our own heart. Make sure that we don't twist the scripture to mean what we want it to mean for today. And that we embrace it and live it with sincerity. God is looking at our hearts. And he's, he's all about us being genuine. He wants a genuine article. It's not about phoniness and fake. No, that's not our God. He didn't send his son, his only son, into the world to die a horrible, horrible, torturous death so that we could play church and pretend. No, he didn't. That's right. That's right. He will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. There it is again. There's the consequence. It follows. It follows. There's no getting away from it. Okay. So some have handled it corruptly. It says that in four, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 2 also. We'll pick up in verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not. That means we don't lose heart. How easy it is to lose heart. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. In other words, he's saying, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He's saying to them, we didn't, we didn't come, I didn't spend, he spent a lot of time in Corinth. And he says, he's saying, I wasn't deceiving you. I wasn't doing it deceitfully to line my pockets with gold, in other words. I was, do, you know, I, I served, I, I gave you the word with, with truth and integrity. Okay, so again, that's important. Um, twisting the scriptures again, you know, to mean what we want it to mean. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. We can convince ourselves that we're doing what we really aren't. All right, in Second Corinthians 5, verse 19, let's see, maybe we'll back up a little. Oh, yes, let's start at 17. We know this verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath, you know, just to stop long enough to say, this is what the Bible says happens if any man be in Christ. He is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. It's the Bible test. I don't know how else to say it. There's people running around saying they're Christians. Well, have old things passed away and all things become new? It's the, it's the Bible test. It's not my test. It's the Bible test. You can, you can call yourself Christian all day long, but have all th- old things passed away and all things become new? There's a regeneration that takes place when we invite Christ into our lives, when we're living with Christ inside. Old things pass away. All things become new. Those are not my words. I'm not making that up. That's scripture. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now we understand that, of course, there's some, you know, there's some process. But when initially we become born again, there has to be a radical change. And if there is some things that still need, of course, there's always, right? All our life long, God is still working on us. We don't, we don't, uh, we understand that. There's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit that should be going on and on and on in our lives. Yet at, at regeneration, 
there's got to be a radical change. You're going one direction and turn and go a totally different direction. It's a radical change. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What a word. That God has committed to us a word of reconciliation. Wow. Powerful. That God would even want to reconcile man unto himself is mind-boggling right there all by itself. We didn't deserve it. He created. He created us. We blew it. He could have just, he could have just, uh, fried the whole planet. <laughs> to want to come and sacrifice himself as, as, the, at Calvary, to bring us, to reconcile us, to bring reconciliation between us and God. We had no approach to God prior to that. To want to do that and the word of reconciliation. You know, we just read these things, we just take them for granted. Oh yeah, that's right, nice reconciliation. <laughs> Stop and think about the cost and what it cost God and he didn't have to do it. It wasn't an obligation. Really, in, in the light of eternity and heaven, we're just a little pea, right? A little earth is just a little pea spinning out there and he could just squish it. <laughs> so he's committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That means that as we've been reconciled to God, we need to, to extend that reconciliation to those around us. There are people that are desperate for, uh, for, for the word of reconciliation, for that word of reconciliation. God can bring you into relate you can get in relationship with God there's good news for you there's good news for you actually without the good news of the gospel what do we have to offer people nothing absolutely nothing it's the good news of the word of reconciliation that brings people nigh that changes their lives no matter what the problems are there are many many problems in people's lives and people are dealing with it they're going for counseling for this and they're going for counseling for that and they're going for this and that and and being treated and 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 all kinds of issues but what about reconciling to god when you get yourself reconciled to god he starts to he starts to help he starts to deal with those issues he's the answer he's the one who can change us from the inside out he's the one who makes the difference in all of our existence. And so we need to realize how much that word of, we've received reconciliation, it has to go both ways. We receive the reconciliation from God. Now we've got to extend that hand of reconciliation, that word of reconciliation to those around us and in our lives. And so may God help us that we will do that. Okay, and in chapter 6, Paul talks a little bit about what he's been through. We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Here it is again. Don't just say I'm a Christian. For he has said I have heard thee in a time accepted in the day of salvation have I suffered thee, helped thee. Behold now is the accepted time. Behold now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. He'd been through all of that. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, 
by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report, good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. All right, so we see here the word of truth. That was what, what the point was there, the word of truth. that He had delivered to them the word of truth. All right, and then in Second Corinthians 10, he says to them uh, in verse 11, uh, Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such we will be also indeed when we are present. So he was, like I said, dealing with some issues, and... He said, don't think that I'm just writing uh, powerful words to you because I'm not there and it's easier to read the letter than it is to hear me say this. I'll, I'll say the same things right to your face is kind of what he's saying here. Okay. All right. And then in 2 Corinthians 13, 1, this is the third time I am coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word be established. Um, that's from the Old Testament, actually, and that was their law that... Um, had to be two two or three witnesses before the word could be established. All right, so I think we're out of time. We'll stop there. We'll pick up in Galatians next week and continue to look at what the epistles say about the word and the word of his power. So let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word, which always continually instructs us and teaches us in the way in which we should go. Help us to be that living epistle that others will see the glory of God living within us as you want. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.